This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, former President Trump has his day in court. He addressed supporters in a primetime speech last night. We have the summary. And Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg lays out his case against the former president, details on the unsealed indictment and what Trump's legal team had to say about it. The people of Wisconsin have voted in a key state Supreme Court election. The outcome could flip the ideological balance in a state set to decide key issues like abortion access. Virgin Orbit has filed for bankruptcy. We have details on the satellite launching company's funding problems. And a cowboy from Texas has become a role model for children around the world. He shares his thoughts on children's entertainment. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Wednesday, April 5th. Former President Trump pleaded not guilty in his historic court appearance yesterday. It's the first time in U.S. history for a former president to be criminally charged. The judge did not issue a gag order and prosecutors did not ask for one. That would have prevented Trump from publicly talking about the case. Trump was charged with 34 felony counts of falsifying business records. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg alleges the false statements were made to cover up other crimes. The indictment doesn't specify what the other crimes are. Bragg says he's not required to specify that in the indictment. He said at a press conference yesterday, one is an alleged violation of state election laws. He hinted another was a federal campaign finance violation. And we'll have more on Bragg in just a bit. But first, let's take a look at Trump's primetime speech in Florida last night. Trump addressed supporters from his Mar-a-Lago Mar estate. That was about two hours after returning from New York. He says election interference is behind the criminal charges. And at a minimum, Bragg should resign. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Trump's remark remarks from Mar-a-Lago. Trump spoke to an invite-only crowd of about 500 guests at his Mar-a-Lago ballroom in Palm Beach Tuesday night. This fake case was brought only to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election, and it should be dropped immediately. <laughs> the former president pleaded not guilty on all 34 counts he was charged with. Every single pundit and legal analyst said, there is no case, there's no case. They kept saying, there's no case. The front-runner for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination warned the U.S. is currently a failing nation and that it sunk to the level of the old Soviet Union. We are a nation in decline, and now these radical left lunatics want to interfere with our elections by using law enforcement. A trial date has not yet been set. It's expected to take place in 2024. Prosecutors asked for it to take place in January, and Trump's attorneys requested April. The next court date is December 4th. That's two months before Republicans begin their nominating process. A conviction would not prevent Trump from running for or winning the presidency in 2024. Trump's lawyers suggested they will be filing motions to dismiss based on prosecutorial misconduct and selective prosecution. Trump ended his speech by saying despite a dark cloud hanging over the country, he has no doubt America will be made great again. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
and Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg also had some statements to make following the arraignment. He held a press conference shortly after the proceedings. Bragg says his office's historic case against a former president aims to show that everyone is equal before the law. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Bragg's remarks. Donald Trump. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg said Tuesday after Trump's arraignment that his office is upholding a solemn responsibility to ensure everyone stands equal before the law. No amount of money and no amount of power changes that enduring American principle. He says access to more evidence and witnesses compelled him to bring the case forward. Text messages, emails, contemporaneous phone records, multiple witnesses. The 34 counts in the indictment are related to alleged hush money payments to pornographic film actress Stormy Daniels. The indictment states that 12 payments in total involving checks, invoices and ledger entries were labeled incorrectly as legal expenses. Each aspect of the paperwork is a separate count. The charges are long expired. But Bragg argues the payments were made to suppress negative information ahead of the presidential election and says that would be a violation of New York state election law. I've been doing this for 24 years. Uh, I don't bring cases prior to a thorough and rigorous investigation. Now having done so, the case has been brought. Bragg alleges that labeling the payments as legal expenses was meant to cover up that crime. That elevates the counts to the felony charges stated in the indictment. Each is punishable by up to four years in prison. Altogether, the maximum sentence would be 136 years under New York law. If Trump were convicted, it would almost certainly be far less than that. Bragg's office has 65 days to file their evidence. Trump's lawyers rallied together after the arraignment in a show of unity to dispel rumors of discord between them. Joe Tacopina, one of Trump's attorneys, says the unsealing of the indictment revealed the insufficiency of the case. Today's unsealing of this indictment shows that the rule of law died in this country because while everyone is not above the law, no one's below it either. And if this man's name was not Donald J. Trump, there is no scenario we'd all be here today. Tacopina summed up his team's position. Simple as this. A state prosecutor is prosecuting a, a federal election law violation that doesn't exist according to federal election law officials. Trump's defense team has until August 8th to file all pretrial motions. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Meanwhile, Stormy Daniels lost her defamation suit against Trump. Daniels was ordered to pay Trump's attorneys more than $120,000 in legal fees. That's on top of more than $500,000 in court-ordered payments to Trump attorneys she's already been required to pay. A judge dismissed her defamation lawsuit in 2018. She later lost an appeal and was ordered to pay Trump's legal fees for fighting both. The civil litigation is officially unrelated to Trump's case in New York, and Trump denies ever having an affair with her. Joining us now to discuss is former federal prosecutor and legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Zach Smith. He's also the co-author of the upcoming book, Rogue Prosecutors, How Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities. Zach, it's great to have you with us this morning. Well, thank you so much for having me on. We know prosecutors want a trial in January, and the defense wants it to start next spring. But in the short term, what's next in this case? Well, I think we're likely to see a flurry of pretrial motions. Certainly one of the main concerns of Donald Trump's lawyers is going to be whether he can, in fact, get a fair trial in lower Manhattan. So I suspect you'll see them moving for a change of venue to hold the trial somewhere else in the state of New York. You may also see motions asking the judge to dismiss the charges. You may see recusal motions against the judge. 
uh, who's presiding over this case. There have already been allegations that family members, uh, others have exhibited a bias against Donald Trump. And so I think for the next several weeks, we're likely to see a lot of pretrial motion practice, which is very common uh, in these types of criminal cases, particularly ones that are white collar in nature. Uh, but look, I think the fundamental point to realize, and we heard a little bit of this on the clip, this is unprecedented. Never before in our nation's history has a former president been criminally charged. And the charges in this particular case are odd in a few few ways. Uh, first, uh, they are essentially falsification of business records charges. Uh, but in many ways, they depend on a federal campaign finance violation to, to bump them from misdemeanors to felonies, which, as you heard Donald Trump's lawyers explain, uh, federal officials themselves have already declined to pursue charges based on this same set of uh, facts. And so it is very odd that Alvin Bragg is now using these same facts to pursue these charges. And Zach, what do you expect to happen in these pretrial motions in terms of moving the case and things like that? Well, I think we'll have to wait and see what the judge does. Uh, again, this is uncharted territory for us as a country. There will be close scrutiny on all of the motions that are filed. And so we'll just have to wait and see what the judge does when he receives those motions. Zach, can you explain the prosecution's claim that Trump engaged in what they call a catch-and-kill scheme to eliminate negative information about him before the 2016 election? Yeah, so this is really the crux of the charges. Essentially, uh, the claim is that Donald Trump worked with others, particularly some in the media, uh, to find out whether negative stories about Donald Trump were going to run, particularly related to these alleged infidelities that he had with several women, uh, which he has denied so far, uh, but then to essentially catch those stories, uh, make payments to keep those stories from going public and, and essentially harming Donald Trump's reputation. Now, the allegation is that because these payments were made by others, in this case, Michael Cohen, who is Donald Trump's former lawyer and fixer and who himself uh, has been charged with charged and convicted of felony offenses related to these payments, uh, because he made those payments on behalf of Donald Trump, essentially, they were campaign expenditures. Uh, they weren't reported correctly. Uh, there are some other intricacies to campaign finance law involving these allegations, but essentially that these payments violate uh, state and federal campaign finance laws, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a very odd predicate for Alvin Bragg to base his charges against Donald Trump because federal officials, the Federal Election Commission, the U.S. Department of Justice, which oversees and decides whether to prosecute federal campaign vi finance violations, uh, those federal entities have themselves decided not to move forward with charges based on this set of facts. Zach Smith with the Heritage Foundation, thank you so much for your analysis on this. Of course. Thank you for having me on. And tune back in at noon Eastern for more legal analysis of Trump's charges right here on NTD News. Now a look at the scene yesterday outside the Manhattan courthouse where Trump was arraigned. Hundred supporters and opponents turned up to protest and told the Epoch Times why they were there. Hundreds of pro-Trump supporters and anti-Trump protesters gathered near the Manhattan Criminal Court on Tuesday as former President Trump turned himself into the Manhattan District Attorney's office. I'm here to support due process 
and a non-politicized, non-corrupt judicial system. And uh, right now, I feel ashamed for this country. And it's, it's funny how people in America don't see it. Everybody all around the world can see what's happening. A lady at the scene said she is middle of the road, but believes the indictment against Trump is unfair. She pointed to the track record of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who started the investigation into Trump. He was someone who would not be uh, prosecuting a lot of crimes, misdemeanors, and all of a sudden now he's involved with this after seven years. You know, it's clearly political in nature. So I just feel like I wanted to come out here and uh, see what part of the park do I stand in. Another Trump supporter agreed that the prosecution is a weaponization of the judicial system, but he also applauded Trump for participating in the process. Trump respects the due process and the rule of law. So that is why he's going to participate in this. Any other person would have sent their lawyer to respond or to essentially quell this issue. No, Trump is going to face this issue head on. He's going to face it like a man. He's going to face it like an American and essentially a good citizen the way he is. Separated by barricades from the Trump supporters, counter-protesters celebrated Trump's indictment. It definitely was not politically motivated. If you have to remember, Michael Cohen was convicted, and during the indictment, they identify felony as individual one. The only reason it wasn't followed up at that time, as we know, DOJ does not indict a sitting president. I knew that Trump would be arrested years ago, and today is the day, so I'm here to celebrate. He's going to be arrested in Georgia later this month. Then he's going to be arrested by the federal government after that. It doesn't matter. Trump is a criminal. He will be in prison someday. He's a criminal. Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia made a brief appearance outside the Manhattan courthouse and addressed Trump supporters. Freshman Congressman George Santos of New York also appeared briefly at the rally to show support for Trump. Coming up, the people of Wisconsin have voted in a key state Supreme Court election. The result could decide major issues like abortion access. And Virgin Orbit has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. It follows a failed satellite launch attempt in January. More after the break. Good to have you back with us. Wisconsin voters on Tuesday elected liberal Janet Protasiewicz to the state Supreme Court. The victory flips control to a liberal majority ahead of major rulings on an abortion ban and other issues. Protasiewicz defeated conservative candidate Daniel Kelly. The result turns a court with a 4-3 to three conservative majority to liberal control for the first time in 15 years. Supporters are calling it a major victory for abortion access advocates. The issue dominated the campaign. The court is expected to soon decide whether to uphold the state's 1849 abortion ban. That law took effect after the U.S. Supreme Court's decision reversing Roe v. Wade. Protasiewicz spoke to supporters. This is a victory for all of us. You have entrusted me with great responsibility and I will treat the role with the highest degree of integrity. 
I will bring the fairness and impartiality that you have all been waiting for. The fact that we now have a majority of the Supreme Court who will be more inclined to be supportive of the issues that the majority of the people of the state of Wisconsin support, it's going to be amazing. It, it, hopefully this will be the day that turns Wisconsin back around. Republicans have portrayed Protasiewicz as soft on crime and said she would use the courts to advance a liberal agenda. Daniel Kelly conceded in an address to supporters and said he respects the decision made by the people of Wisconsin. The closely watched race was by far the most expensive judicial election campaign in U.S. history. And moving on, satellite launching company Virgin Orbit filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection yesterday. The company was founded by billionaire Richard Branson. It has struggled to secure long-term funding following a failed launch attempt in January. Here's the story. It comes after a period where Richard Branson's firm tried to save cash by halting operations. And last week, it announced the layoff of roughly 85% of its 750 employees. The company is seeking a sale of its assets according to the filing. Virgin Orbit CEO Dan Hart said Tuesday the Chapter 11 process was the best way to find and complete a value-maximizing sale. Virgin Orbit Air launched rockets from beneath a modified Boeing 747 plane to send satellites into orbit. But demand has shifted to larger launch rockets in recent years. Analysts also said more cost-effective shared rides to space on SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket raised competition. The firm's mission in January was to launch a rocket from the UK, but it failed to reach orbit, and it sent its payload of US and UK intelligence satellites plunging into the ocean. Branson's Virgin Group said it had invested more than $1 billion in the unit, Virgin Orbit had a market value of $65 million based on Monday's closing price. That was down from more than $3 billion two years ago. And what's happening with the banking crisis? I spoke to our sponsor to find some answers. Joining me now is Philip Patrick, a precious metal specialist with Birch Gold Group. Our sponsor, good to see you, Philip. Good to see you as always. Um, after those recent bank failures, so what ripple effects do we see now? Is it contained? Look, we made it through the weekend without another bank collapsing, so that, of course, is good news. Um, we've got First Republic, Charles Schwab in the US, along with Deutsche Bank in Germany. They're still looking a little bit shaky, but right now the Federal Reserve is lending to banks without requiring them to recognize losses on their capital reserves, which was really the issue with SVB. So it's quite possible that at least for now in the US, the banking crisis is contained. We're not going to know until the, the next bank CEO comes out and tells us how great their liquidity is. That's usually the kiss of death for a balance sheet. But for right now, the banking system is breathing a sigh of relief. Of course, tomorrow could be a different story. I see. Now, um, it seems like there will be or there is tightened lending because of the banking crisis as well. Now, that will mean less federal revenue. And what we what are we seeing now in terms of, you know, debt ceiling and talks about that? Yeah, there have finally been some progress. So the House Budget Committee chairman said Republicans want to cut $130 billion from domestic spending and cap that annual spending at 1% growth 
for the next decade. They want to increase work requirements for welfare and food stamps, and it's being supported by the Freedom Caucus. Unfortunately, it looks like a balanced budget at this point could be many years away, particularly without cuts to both Social Security and Medicare, which no one at this point is willing to do. The bad news is we're probably not going to have a complete plan ready for voting until the beginning of May. Now, in order to avoid default, we need a plan in place by the end of May. I think the key, and for the Democrats, I think what they're trying to achieve is, is hoping that the Republicans will back down rather than send the nation into sort of crisis. A debt default would make SVB look like nothing. I think it's unlikely that that will happen, but all of this uncertainty, I think, will have economic consequences. So it, it's tumultuous at the moment out there. Right, and with that uncertainty that you just mentioned, what can we do to protect our finances? Look, it's a very, very tough climate to navigate, and I think people need to get educated. That's what we really focus on at Birch. For, for your viewers, of course, they can text NTD to 989898. That'll get them some really good information on precious metals. I think in climates like this, gold and silver are very important, right? The, all of this instability that we talk about, very negative generally for stocks and bonds, and we're seeing that so far this year, but it tends to be very positive for gold and silver. Again, we're seeing them surge quite aggressively this year on the back of all of this volatility. So for everyone, get the information, NTD to 989898, get learning, and I think the solutions will present themselves. Right. Thanks for your analysis. Pleasure to talk to you. As always, Philip Patrick, I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, a cowboy from Texas has become a role model for children around the world. Hear the story of Cowboy Jack and his thoughts about children's entertainment. Welcome back. An adventurous cowboy on YouTube is becoming a role model for children worldwide. It's all thanks to a husband and wife team in Texas that is trying to change the face of children's educational entertainment. Here's the story. Like many parents who worked from home during the pandemic lockdowns, John and Andrea Havard from Houston, Texas, used screen time to keep their young son busy. But they found it hard to find truly educational content for children. What I grew up on in the 80s and 90s was uh, Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Rogers, and those were adults speaking to kids as an adult, and you were learning really good, valuable lessons from them. After a long time searching, the couple finally decided to take matters into their own hands. We, we filmed our first episode at the pond in our neighborhood and just made a fishing episode about counting and colors and things like that. Since then, with John adopting his persona as a funny cowboy, while Andrea did the filming and editing, the YouTube channel Cowboy Jack was born. Young kids get to learn moral behavior and lifelong knowledge from a cowboy's adventures. I get messages from parents all over the country and all over the world saying how much it helped their autistic child or how much it you know, has improved their daily life because their kids are getting valuable information from YouTube. You know what? Among their most popular videos with millions of views, Cowboy Jack takes an ambulance tour, 
goes to the dentist, meets with firefighters, and even does household chores. All these sort of positive behaviors, but we you learn that through a positive uh, reinforcement and not even realizing that you're learning it. It's just you, you become this person like Cowboy Jack. As fifth-generation Texans, the Havards are showing off the best things about their home state with fun activities and the iconic cowboy culture. We're very proud of our state and the, the beautiful part of this amazing country that we get to live in. John says screen time isn't bad as long as parents watch TV together with their children and make sure the content is positive, uplifting, and educational. NTD News, Texas. Now, here's a story that will ring a bell. Researchers are at Berkeley Microbiology Lab have been feeding a squirrel who comes to their window. But recently, they trained the squirrel to ring a bell to get a treat. Good job, Cleaver. They named him Cleaver after a famous microbiologist. They trained Cleaver by making the bell ring whenever he begged. And if he happened to strike the string waving his paws, he got a nut. But after someone complained the bell was too high, they gave the squirrel a step stool and also lowered the string. Oh, what a smart squirrel. You know, and I do think he deserves more than one almond. You might be right about that. And people online had complained about the same thing because he only got one nut. But then researchers actually said that they don't want Claver to depend on them as a main source of food. Ah, OK, that is a good point. But Evelyn, you got to check it out. When they have the spring litter, those little baby squirrels are just running and playing. They're so funny. Oh, I will pay attention to that this time because I don't think I've seen this before. Yeah, and then they're just full of energy and they don't drink any coffee. Go no. figure. Man, <laughs> all right. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us if you want. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.